0: And welcome to Core cool Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Community Discord Patreon.
1: This podcast focuses on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova, And I'm Kikita Kaori, and we have some special guests today. Lex, or Lexus Daikima, is that how you say it?
2: Daikima. Pretty close, yeah.
1: <laughs> the She's the primary writer for Celestial Realms, and other 5th edition role-playing game books, and also Max Brook, who is the lead game designer for 5th edition. So welcome, thank you.
0: Yep. Today we're basically going to be doing an, an interview, largely about Celestial Realms, and how it came to be, and what was in it, and all that kind of good stuff. So that is our agenda for today. Okay, can you give us a bit about your background, give us an introduction? And what, in the end, led you to working on Legend of the Five Rings?
2: I'm Lex Stegma. I got started working on 5th Edition when I started working at Fantasy Flight Games, around when Emerald Empire was in the last uh, stages of being made. I've been infatuated with gaming since I was a child. My dad my grandparents instilled a love for it at a super early age. RPGs are definitely my passion. Yeah, that's just a little bit about me.
0: Had he done much? Had done much writing before working for FFG?
2: Um, no, actually, not not in the the gaming field specifically. And I'm actually not like the lead writer. I'm one of like the main developers for L Five R. Yeah.
1: Okay. Thank you for clarifying. And just super quick, Max, since you are here, they may not have listened to you come on before. Can you give us a super quick?
3: Yeah, I'm Max Brook. I'm the lead designer for the core rulebook and I've done various little things to help on design further supplements. So, I've written some sections, some of the ones we'll be talking about today, etc. But the bulk of my work was on the core rulebook and then mostly I've just been helping folks like Lex on the specifics of the mechanics, but my my day job is mostly other stuff. I can only claim a small amount of the credit for any book past the core okay that's fair
1: thank you for coming on anyway we appreciate it so lex what things have you worked on specifically for legend of the five Rings?
2: i've basically had a hand in most of the things past emerald empire so i proofread for emerald empire that was like my first thing that i worked on i co-developed mask of the oni with tim cox i worked on courts of stone with sam gregor stewart i did the winter's embrace adventure Path of Waves was my first like really big book that I did. Celestial Realms, I had a hand in The Lion Adventure that's coming out. And I'm currently working on Rid of the Wilds.
0: Great. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned right when we said that hey, you corrected to developer. So how would you describe a developer in that? I'm, so I'm not quite sure what that entails. So,
2: um, Development includes writing, but it's also the managing of freelancers, designing rules, mechanics. It's just like all of it together.
3: Oh, I just have, I have a pithy way I like saying it, which is that the developer is the person who makes the book happen.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: huh.
3: Kind of like a, a producer in a like, movie to television. It, yep. In fact, the role was called producer for a long time. When I joined the role-playing team, the role was called producer way back in the day. So
0: well, there you go. So what makes you particularly excited about Rock again and Legend of Five Rings then?
2: I absolutely love the lore. And it definitely helped that the team that I was working with, like Max Brook and Sam Gregor Stewart and Tim Cox were so awesome. And I'm also like just generally really excited about researching different cultures. (laughs) So it was really fun to really dive in and get into it and start learning more about Japanese, Chinese, Mongolian, Korean, Indian cultures, just to
3: name a few.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is a lot of people's favorite things. Yeah, that, that's it is a big draw.
3: I think it's worth mentioning since this is your first having having Lex on, but Lex was the one who spearheaded and did a lot of the work with Muda, who did the consultation on the Ivory Kingdoms in Path of Waves, and because you two did such you know good work on that, and that was such a I think that was one of our most like successful creative lore projects in a big way in the rpg and that was a lot of that was you so i just figured i'd mention that
2: i loved working on the ivory kingdom stuff it was so much fun
0: i i, I would love to see more honestly there's there's kind of like a tantalizing amount where you couldn't quite run something in it mm-hmm. but you almost feel that you it made me want to but that was not I, yeah <laughs> it's lovely, lovely
2: that job. might have been by design <laughs> <laughs> maybe perhaps
3: <laughs> if yeah. if the line keeps doing well maybe someday we'll get a get a whole book where you and amuda can go wild on that stuff oh that'd be mm. so much fun
2: <laughs> awesome
1: so we ask this of everybody who comes on our show because it's legend of the five rings so what is your favorite clan
2: okay so this is a complicated question good so i want to say it's scorpion But I took the quiz and they suggest Phoenix. (laughs) But if I really dig deep, it's definitely Crab Clan, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: without a doubt. Wait,
0: wait, all (laughs) right, hang hang on. So you say you want Scorpion?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I love. But you've
0: ended up with Phoenix. (laughs) Is is this why there are so many Scorpion Shugenja?
2: May, I do really like I do really like the scorpions aesthetic completely and utterly, and mm. perhaps that's why. Maybe Max and I just want to frustrate you. Who knows?
0: <laughs> so, so you're saying you'd, you'd go for Phoenix more if there were like red and black instead of red and yellow. Perhaps. Is that the? Or
2: maybe if they stabbed <laughs> things a little bit more. So, s- <laughs> slightly, slightly more. Uh. But definitely crab All I right. love the crab There would be no Rokugan yeah. without the crab
0: it, I have to say I find this, It's a very difficult Question for me to answer Because I would also Name about three <laughs> And and when it comes To role playing that's
1: why It's so fun to ask Yeah absolutely It's so good Um So we wanted to turn and talk about the new book that has come out, Celestial Realms. What is your favorite part of Celestial Realms?
2: What's your favorite? I'm actually going to make Max answer first. What's your favorite part, Max?
3: Oh, my favorite part is, that's easy to answer, it's the Ishikan because I knew that it would be interesting. And I think people have found it that. So I'm pretty happy about that. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Interesting is people have been clamoring for Ishikan. I think, since day one. I think people were complaining that Ishigan hadn't been included before the cool book was out and anyone knew anything about it. It's what we want Ishigan. like, the, book, the game's not out yet. Come on. But yeah, people have been certainly quite intrigued by it,
3: I think. Mm-hmm.
2: My favorite part, okay, this is going to be a little lame, but it's not lame because it's the map. It's a map of the celestial realms that Francesca Barrell did. It's my favorite. It's my favorite thing ever. I love it so much. It was so fun to do.
0: The maps, I have to say, for all of FFG's L5R have been stupendous.
2: Yeah. That's Francesca. She is phenomenal. I I love it. There's lots of people talking about framing it. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) I think the only problem I have with with those maps is that you it's difficult to frame them because they're double-sided and you want to frame both sides.
2: I guess you'll just have to buy two. <laughs>
3: darn. That,
0: darn it all.
3: This is one of those classic, oh, you know I mean? of those classic <laughs> delivering value paradoxes where we try to make the product a good deal for the consumer. But the thing is, so we're giving you this nice sheet. So it's oh, we yeah. should if we're going to bother to print something out, we should put something on the other side. So we put something on the other side, but then the problem is you can't frame it. So then we're like, we could put it on two sheets, but then we'd be like, we'll have to put something on the yeah. other sides. And then it's just future. this, it goes on and on. It's it's the classic problem. <laughs> just need to make a double-sided frame. You just need you a like transparent
1: frame. Yes. Yeah, yeah, just flip it over. Right.
0: <laughs> Hang it up is a big anything- old wind
3: chime. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Was there anything that you had to cut for space that you wish you'd had room? Or if you had more pages, is there stuff you'd want to go into more detail on?
2: If I'm honest, I was actually pretty happy with what we were able to include. If I could add more, I would definitely add more creatures and adventure seeds Mm. and art, honestly. But I think that, I don't know, I think that it was actually a pretty balanced book, in my opinion.
3: This is something that you'd have a better handle on Lex than I did, but I I feel watching this book across its process more than a lot of other books, this one didn't end up having to like chop a bunch of content to fit. (laughs)
2: That that was also partially by design because I think I asked writers to write fewer words because writers, I I love them very much, but they always tend (laughs) to go over. So I had them do less so when they went over it wouldn't (laughs) i wouldn't have to cut all of the things that they wrote because it's really sad when you have to do that path of waves is one of those ones i had to cut a bunch of stuff
3: i think every l5r book prior to this one had just you know i'd have to ask huck about shadowlands i don't know about that one but every other one that i had any sort of like eye on the ball for the like content i remember there were like a bunch of things in the book plan that didn't make it in and then i looked at the final book and i was like yeah that makes sense that's usually yeah. how it goes with RPGs. It's it's rare that you come out under. Yeah. I think Celestial Realms definitely was the tightest book we did. So, yeah.
2: Not tightest in space, like Titus as in, like, it came together the most beautifully.
3: We're learning.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. Fancy that. Yeah.
1: I did miss... I, I did... If you had more pages, I would have liked to see a bit more Phoenix history and lore. That was something that I really missed out of that book that oh. that I wish there had been some more for, but that's my, that's me. I always want some more lore. We yeah, just didn't. Yeah. So we, everybody we've talked to really enjoyed the style uh, and the dynamics of the Shinken schools and how it uses the blank dice for its results. That made perfect sense. It was great thematic. And we've talked about that on our podcast before. We did notice And people got very confused about at at what seems to be an extremely wide range of power levels between the inversions of the same rank. Effectively, at rank five, you've got Unweave, which does your theology in fatigue to somebody versus the rank one Whispered Blade, which can has like popping critical hits all over the place. And it just is, some have a huge narrative effect, very small mechanical effect. So we're trying to maybe get your thinking on what makes a, a shinken spell the level it is and how the narrative mechanical effects are meant to work together first for these for
3: these spells because it was yeah so that's two questions the first question is why is unweave better than whispered blade and the short answer is like most techniques it isn't like rank five techniques aren't necessarily supposed to be better than rank one techniques they're just techniques you'll have access to later in your career that often do more specialized things but we don't want you to stop using rank one techniques at rank five However, there are a couple reasons that if I was given the choice between the two, I would rather build around I would rather build around Unweave than Whispered Blade. And the big one is just action efficiency. If you are high enough rank to take advantage of it, Unweave is way more action efficient, right? Like you don't have to, it's action efficient and it's experience efficient. You don't have to invest a bunch of experience in being able to stab people, which we've generally found in playtesting the elemental weapons. Yes, they're pretty good, but they have this hidden tax. You have to invest a whole bunch of experience points in being able to hit people with them. And Whispered Blade is the same. Unweave is one action. If you magnitude it up, it can hit everything if you wanted to. And it's really a finisher at the end of the day. And it's a finisher for campaign level threats, right? Unweave is like, I want this person so gone, I never have to deal with them. I don't want their (laughs) zombie coming back. I don't want, like whatever like this person is finished and i am done dealing with them and if you use it for that Mm -hmm. it is an extremely it's either an extremely action efficient way to just get rid of a minion and just be like yep that thing is gone i don't have to deal with it or if you want to use it on an adversary or a pc or a real enemy it's the best way to permanently get rid of something unless it is capable of using slip the cycle to come back so it's more about the like the state this sort of Magnitude of the effect, not to steal from the other game term there, but like the ability to do unpreventable damage is great, and even the ability to toss out crits is great. But sometimes you really want to get rid of someone who that won't kill. Like, there are plenty of threats in the setting that will shrug off having their head chopped off or what have you, but don't like to be banished to unreality. Okay. And that's why one of them is available at rank one and the other is available at rank five. I think, think I can think of a few characters from Old Law who that
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> wish someone had done that to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you have to deal with one of those old five R characters who came back eighteen times, this, then you want Unweave. If you think it's just a normal person who will stay dead, then Whispered Blade is plenty. <laughs> okay.
1: And what about something like like Witness at the end? So Witness the end came across like. It even had a sidebar about how terrifying it was. But we were trying to fi- trying to figure out what it actually would do in gameplay. And it seems like it would, you know, in effect, most of the times you'd want to use it like on uh, Shuka Joe or otherwise it would end up dropping a TN from three or two to one. So that was a little because yeah, it's got this narrative, big narrative effect potentially, but... We couldn't figure out what the mechanical effect.
3: Keep in mind that setting the TN to one is the Akodo mastery ability. They have to fail a check, and then they can set the TN to one. So this is comparable with, with another with a school's mastery ability. So setting the TN to one is a big mechanical effect. Uh Witness the End is also totally useful for narrative stuff too. Let's say, for instance, your character is trapped by you know trapped in some sort of confinement of some kind witness the end is your way to figure out how to get out of that it's so it's got this sort of double angle of it's got this great opportunity to give you a huge boost on this check you're going to make and in some cases it maybe tells you what check to make another good example is let's say we're dealing with one of those beings who doesn't die unless you destroy their heart which is hidden 500 miles away If you pop witness the end, your GM should tell you, yeah, nothing you do to this person is actually going to kill them here. Like they're like your first action to deal with them is going to have to be leaving and going somewhere else. And suddenly you're like, oh, okay, that completely changes the encounter. Now it's a runaway encounter. And I didn't spend a bunch of time and energy fighting an immortal sorcerer who wasn't going to die from this anyway. So as with many things, it's somewhat up to player and GM interpretation and discussion. If you want to just use it mechanically and keep it really simple, though, dropping the TN to one is really good. So there's another question about the
0: kind of the narrative effects and the mechanical effects. This is actually to do with the bathing passion, which a lot of people like.
2: I love that because one. So
0: you've got, <laughs> you've got to have your hot springs episode.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Very important. But how do you find the balance between the narrative parts of an advantage or disadvantage with the mechanical effect. How do you make those work together?
3: Yeah, I could say my thinking on it. Basically, advantages and disadvantages have two like prongs to them. One is to save you from having to make checks that are a waste of time in a lot of contexts. So I want my character should know where the best bathhouse around here is. They know this is the city they're from. They're going to know the best bathhouse. They're going to know the worst bathhouse. Like, they're going to know all the bathhouses and why they're the best or the worst. But maybe my character isn't good at the skill that would necessarily normally be used for. It's a shortcut for your GM to just be like, yeah, normally this would be a check of some kind, culture maybe, culture earth to know a place or something like that. But you don't even have to make the check where this is because you just know this. So it's a quick narrative shortcut. And that's why they tend to be fairly narrow. We tend to pick things that are like, good for that. Like for bathing, it would be like, where's the best bathhouse for Kabuki? It's Oh, who are the players in town? Like, maybe I can get us in to talk to one of these players because I was in a show with them or I patronized one of their co workers at one point or something. And it's just that like quick narrative shortcut to let's get to the good stuff. Let's not spend time picking up the dice for a check that doesn't really have like interesting outcomes and I want you to know the answer and you want to know the answer and it just it's in everyone's best interest to move this forward to the fun part the other side of that is the mechanical side And that is the sort of the after performing a check while bathing, et cetera. And so that's to encourage you to actually engage with your advantage or disadvantage. There's this sort of like mechanical hook and the narrative hook. And those are the two like things that players can grab onto. But if they grab onto one more than the other, that's fine. Like it's possible that depending on the way a player likes to play or the particulars of the campaign, as long as they're using either, they're probably getting some value out of it. And it's doing something in the narrative.
0: I think there's a similar question to the elemental deficiencies, which is like, when do they apply? And when do they not apply? But I think that's also very similar to the, there's a sidebar on when should you use disadvantages and advantages? Like only specifically when you do a water approach, if you've got elemental deficiency in water, or is it only when you interact with water kami specifically? Is it
3: somewhere in between? Yeah, I'd say for the deficiencies, if you want to, Jump in on this Lex. you can, but I can speak to this as well.
2: Yeah, go ahead. I just remember that we talked like a lot about how we wanted these to work, and they went through several iterations before we actually settled on what we wanted to do.
3: Yeah. So for these, we definitely wanted to keep them relatively, relatively specific. So they're kind of stuff related to the kami or religion or philosophy. So they're not, if you have a fire deficiency, you're not going to roll apply your disadvantage to every fire roll you make. So if you were like in a fight and you going, I'm going to go rampaging. Yeah, you could still do fire. that. That would be fine. But if you're like, I want to think creatively about how to interpret some text that I've been reading about theology or like some related topic, you might struggle with that. Yeah, and it's interesting too. I remember as part of our conversation about this Lex, we discussed including the classic what were they called what was the advantage every shugenja took in and uh, other than ishiken what was the advantage every shugenja took in um fourth edition alignments affin- affin- affinities yes
2: yeah i remember you were absolutely like no yeah (laughs) (laughs) no we don't want that i'm like okay
3: (laughs) they just remove a choice and make shugenja characters more flat and boring because it's just you just take that it's the wrong choice not to take that and that's why we did friendly kami we did that as a title which i really liked as a way to do that to have our cake have our cake and eat it too because it's a title it's totally under the control of the gm and so if the players hey i'd like to get this you can be like okay let's talk about how we're gonna go through that but it isn't just this i always take it at character creation end of story
1: thank you that would you know, advantages and disadvantages in general are something that, you know, it's hard to figure out the bounds around them a bit. We did have some questions come in around the different schools. One of the things that we we're curious is where you see a Caillou architect or an Itaku stable master fitting into a campaign. And to go along with that, I've got to ask this, what's the weirdest mount a stable master ever summoned for you? And can you summon a
2: bear? <laughs> <laughs> I'm bear. I, I will <laughs> so the kai Architects, i believe uh, max did, designed that one and then i did the utaku so th- to that last question if a bear meets the requirements of the ability and your gm says it's fine go ahead just ride a bear i personally really wanted to ride an elephant but max said no no <laughs> <elephant."> <laughs>
3: I mean, Max. I believe the elephant's conflict rank is what, like fourteen, and you wrote the elephant's <laughs> conflict rank, and that's what the ability is restricted on. So, whose fault is this, really? Your fault. <laughs> really?
2: Yeah, it's your fault. It's not my fault.
3: I can I find it. an elephant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I didn't write the elephant's conflict rank.
2: But maybe, I maybe maybe
3: a very small elephant. Yes, you just, um, baby elephant.
2: Yeah, maybe a, maybe a little tiny elephant anyway
3: (laughs) yeah so it it is always interesting where do these more niche characters fit in campaigns and i think the answer is if they call to you they fit in any campaign to some degree if you really want to play a if the caillou architect calls to you then play it in whatever campaign your gm will let you play it in it's it's got a pretty good range of things like most schools It's got a school ability that focuses on the stuff it does. Like you can find ways to work that stuff into your campaign. And at the end of the day, I'm pretty confident that even a character with no school ability could probably perform just fine in most campaigns in actual practice. I don't think that there is any school ability that is functionally blank, nor would I want there to be. And I certainly don't push their design in that direction. but. Even if it was like, you could certainly, I think, play and have a good time for something like the Caillou Architect or the Utaku Stable Master. It's all about finding the place where your character does their thing in the campaign the GM has and finding the balance there.
2: If you really want to play Utaku Stable Master in a court intrigue game, like you can make it work.
3: You're going to go on hunts. You're going to do you're going to do outdoor activities. You're going to have to journey. You're going to have to deliver a letter at high speed somewhere like the GM should, to some degree, find the GM should look at the schools, the characters, the players chose and say, okay, this is probably a reflection of what they want to do. And so I should work that into the plan somehow, as this is them expressing their interest in a thing. And that's why we do the more niche schools, the Doji Bureaucrat, or even the, although it's iconic, even the Asahina Artificers kind of niche in some ways. Yeah,
0: because you feel that if someone's good at making stuff, why are they wandering about the landscape adventuring, when surely they should be locked up at home making stuff?
3: Yeah, And, and the answer is, PCs are exceptional, and like, why are you out there wandering with this group of all, I don't know, kitsune impersonators or whatever your group decided to make?
0: <laughs> why am I wandering around with characters who, according to my demographic research, occur about one in a million, and why are there five of them wandering <laughs> around with me?
3: I don't know, but I bet it's a good story.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly.
0: <laughs> one of the things when people sort of, oh, how can you make one of these characters kind of work in a campaign. And some of it is because we are assuming that we are d d esque adventurers who wander about the landscape and have no home and have no fixed abode and will all, are always going off into the next village to find the next dungeon to wander around. But I think Legend of the Five Rings especially allows for a lot more varied campaigns. So if you have a campaign that sits in a city and is always in there and around that city and you've got loads of stuff to do, then a character like an architect, like every time you, you have a downtime, you, the, the architects says, most of the time the I'm best doing the job. secret
1: base ever. <laughs>
0: but every, every time he's like in between adventures. Clearly I'm mostly doing my job of being an architect. But here's my downtown activity. And oh no, a thing has turned up. Well I'll obviously go and wander about with the Takashi monk, the Ishiken, and the Kitsuni impersonator and all the other completely impossibly rare people that I seem to hang around in on a regular basis. I,
3: I think that's a really good point. That like classic games like Pendragon and stuff like that, like what your character is doing when you're playing them is not necessarily the sum total or even the majority of their life. You know, depending on the pace of your game, some games obviously you're gonna have a like tense one night game you could run something like mirror if you really wanted to where it all takes place in one night or two nights or however long that death trap is (laughs) but you can also have games that go for like months or years in universe even if they're not that many sessions because like most of the time your character's doing their samurai stuff they're filling their post they're serving their lord in the way that would be expected or they're not, and that's interesting. They're not necessarily doing, like, adventure stuff all the time. Most of the time they're, like, living their life, and then sometimes they get pulled into a big intrigue or, like, a secret plot, or they get shipwrecked and have to build a boat and sail back to Rokugan. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. We've all been there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So another school that has gotten a lot of questions about it or remarked is the Shashura Shadow Weavers. That was unexpected. One, because it seems to our readers or listeners to have an extremely high power level. And also it was unexpected to because Scorpion seems to have so many shiginja, and people were looking for, honestly, looking for shadow brands because we've seen those in the scorpion novella so we know that they're out there in the universe so could you give us your thoughts behind shadow reavers how you designed and include that school and uh, if there are shadow brands or
2: i can speak a little bit to this so when i was thinking about what schools i wanted to do and i was talking to max about like where we want to go with the schools i wanted as a designer to play around with the schools a little bit and the system's flexibility and i hadn't um done something like a shadow weaver before and i just wanted to see what i can mess with max do you want to like say something about that and then i can talk about shadow brands
3: (laughs) no i think you should i think you should dig in on your thoughts on the shadow weaver because this is this one is basically all you i helped you with the wording but that was about it all i wanted to say was just to preface that the shadow brand is shadow brands and shadow weavers are not the same thing shadow brands are something that we intentionally did not include in this book did not intend to include in this book so just like in case anyone is confused they are different yes they both have shadow in the name they are different these this is a particular shosuro tradition of like manipulating shadow for combat and various other uh, nefarious uses shadow brands are the strange abilities we see i will say i can't speak to future products but i will say that having put some thought into how shadow brands might work i would expect they would probably function more like inversions than invocations because they seem to be a more fundamental like twisting of reality than just an invocation of shadow or what have you but they would be their own thing they're not just inversions either or they would be a for it might be a form of inversion maybe
2: and the reason why we didn't in include them here specifically, like I can't speak to whether or not they will be included in the future or anything like that, but Max and I actually talked about it because we, we talked about whether or not we wanted to put shadow brands in here and shadow brands need attention and they need pages, and we thought that the Ishiken and their rules they fit better with the Phoenix books we had to that was a choice we had to make in terms of cutting things here it was not I guess it wasn't really cutting because we didn't actually write them or anything but
3: we have a line plan. We apportion content to various books. And again, while I can't speak to the particulars of future products, we did not we did not look at that content and say, that's a Phoenix thing. We looked at that content and said, that's probably for a different book.
2: I wanted to do a school that was, that was like this. And I had an inspiration from actually a particular video game character. And then I wanted to see if I could make L5R fit around. The idea behind that. Game.
0: Do they die a certain specific amount of times?
2: Mm, I think we're thinking about two different things. <laughs> That's all right, then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shadows die twice, is what I. Was, but yeah.
2: I was sort of just not duplicate, but inspired from it because I looked at Scorpion and I'm like, oh yeah, that kind of fits in. And then I was like, can I make it? Can I make it happen? What can I? How can I use the L5 Alphafresh system to make something interesting? And then. There was also that in Path of Waves, you can also make your own schools there. And so it was that thought of like, how flexible can you be? So I just had a little bit of fun with it. And Max was great with the wording because he, man, Max and Syntax, really good.
0: <laughs> you still say stuff?
1: Yeah. For Naramani or Magic Items, that cool buff sword that you really want. How often do you see something like that coming out or giving those sort of cool things to your players there's been discussion like the rank five techniques expect you to have a a magic sword on you Uh, that's been mentioned before and we're just curious as to how gm should handle the dishing out of the cool stuff
3: i wouldn't say that they necessarily expect you to have a magic sword on you but it's certainly a possibility it totally depends on the themes of the campaign you want to run i'd say i am generally pretty stingy with uh Nemer and I in my campaigns, mostly because I want them to have a lot of personality and be interesting. So I usually shoot for no more than one per player, and they should tie into the character's backstory or story or where they're going somehow, and should be interesting in that respect. But if you were running a big movers and shakers of the realm game, maybe you'd want to dish them out more frequently. Or if you were running a game about like past ages and these grand myths, maybe you want to add more of those in. So I think it's just tone. How much do you want L5R to be like? How much do you want to tell a more high fantasy story versus a low fantasy story? How much do you want to play up the supernatural side of the setting in your campaign? It's very much a season to taste. The game doesn't become unbalanced if characters get those things particularly, but they're not strictly needed for balance either.
1: Okay, that makes sense.
3: I think that's pretty much all the questions we have. So we're
0: going to move on to our wrap-up. So thanks very much, first off. But what are you looking forward to next, both in terms of L5R and just stuff in general?
2: I'm really excited about Writ of the Wilds, which uh, Sam Gregor Stewart did announce on a different live stream podcast type situation, and I'm working on it, and it is going to be awesome. That's all I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, we do. We we do appreciate we NDAs wait. and all that, but yeah, I that's one I'm looking forward to.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Tell you, there's a lot of really fun stuff in it. I can say that. I'm allowed to say that.
3: Oh, we've got Fields of Victory coming out too. So
2: yeah,
1: lots of liony goodness, battley goodness, and some liony goodness,
3: and some battery goodness.
1: They're different.
2: They're different. The lion don't have to be all about the battles. They just a lot are. The lions do like their battles. They do.
1: Do you have anything you want to share that will let p- our listeners learn more about you on the web, like Twitter, or any other ways to get contact with you or read about your
2: work? Again, I've worked on pretty much every, like, fifth edition thing. So if you want to go on the Fantasy Flight Games website, most of those products you can look at. And I've participated in them. And I do work for another company called Brain Crack Games. So they're coming out with some cool stuff, too. So. You can look up Brain Crack Games. (laughs) And we'll put it in our show notes too. Thank you so
1: much for coming on, both of you, Max, Lex. We really appreciate the time you take out to come and talk about Celestial Realms and hopefully maybe your future books as they come out. If we feel, you know, have people asking questions, we are trying to collect those and stack them up and save them
2: for you yes so. please ask questions thank you for i love questions them. <laughs> i'm not always the most elegant at answering the questions but i do like them <laughs> oh you did
1: great <laughs> we really appreciate it
0: we do we do
1: I just wanted to give a call out to our sister podcast and patrons. We're the Court Games Network, and that includes the L5R LCG podcast for our card game player friends. And we have two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortune and Strife. So I'll tell you guys to go, go check those out too. We have joined the D20 radio network to share our podcasts a little further. They do a lot of uh, fantasy flight like Genesis and Star Wars RPG things as well. Anyway, our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which uh, supports our editing costs and our website where you can find transcripts of these, these podcasts and longer term information and other role playing
0: game tools. You can find us on the web at courtgamespod.com. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod and on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames.
1: That's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. Uh, May the fortunes favor you.
0: And I've been Corvar. Until we meet again, keep your jade handy.